You're listening to Rowan Radio On Demand. Download more podcasts at rowanradio.com. The following program does not represent the views or opinions of the staff or administration of Rowan University or Rowan Radio. 89.7 WGLS-FM. Rowan Radio, 89.7 WGLS-FM proudly presents The Rowan Report, a weekly news magazine that recaps local, national, and international news that affects you. And now, the Rowan Radio News Team. Good morning and welcome to the Rowan Report here on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM. I'm Allie Bruce with the Rowan Radio News Team. Some of this week's headlines include two teenagers are charged with murdering 14 kangaroos in Australia and the second gubernatorial race was held on Rowan's campus. Here's your national news recap for the week of October 10th. Gabby Petito died from strangulation. Teton County Coroner Dr. Brent Blue says the autopsy results show she died by homicide. Her body was found in Wyoming in September. Police have been looking for her fiancé, Brian Laundrie, since last month. A postal worker in Colorado is dead after being shot while delivering mail. It happened in the residential neighborhood of Longmont, which is north of Denver. A search for a suspect is ongoing, but Longmont Deputy Police Chief Jeff Sauter says they believe the suspect is no longer in the area. The police are hoping people nearby can share video from their home security cameras with authorities. An FDA advisory panel is recommending the use of coronavirus vaccine booster shots from Moderna. The committee's recommendation was unanimous. The panel's endorsement pertains to those 65 and older in addition to other high-risk Americans. The three-month-old Dixie Fire is 94% contained. The U.S. Forest Service says 963,000 acres have burned across five counties. It is the single largest wildfire in California history and remains active in the Plumas and Lassen National Forests and the Lassen Volcanic National Park. Cal Fire says the Dixie Fire accounts for nearly 1 million of the 2.5 million acres burned statewide this year. In 2020, it was an all-time record with more than 4 million acres burned. Dry lightning strikes touched off five of the seven largest wildfires in state history last year. The New York City Wine and Food Festival is returning to the city. Last year, the festival was almost all virtual due to the pandemic. Till Sunday, there will be in-person events to mark its 14th year. Meanwhile, the event will no longer be held at Piers 92 and 94, but at various locations around the city, including Pier 76 in Hudson River Park. In addition, the festival's popular Burger Bash is taking place at Pier 86, home of the Intrepid Museum. One of the New York teenagers charged in the 2019 murder of Barnard College student Tessa Majors is being sentenced. 16-year-old Luciano Lewis, who pleaded guilty last month to murder and robbery, was sentenced Thursday afternoon to nine years to life in prison. Luciano is one of three teens charged in the stabbing death of Majors in Morningside Park. Majors' family was in court to give victim impact statements. A New Jersey man is being sentenced for forcing three women into prostitution. Authorities say 40-year-old Mark Benavides of Elmwood Park started sex trafficking in New Jersey in 2016 and lured a third victim when he moved to North Carolina in 2017. Benavides was arrested during an undercover prostitution sting in North Carolina four years ago. Thursday, he was sentenced to 10 years in prison. 
The FBI is offering a $25,000 reward for information that helps convict the suspects in a mass shooting in Portland, Oregon. The gang-related shooting happened on Southwest 3rd Avenue between Harvey Milk and Washington Streets. 18-year-old Michaela Harris was killed and six others were injured. Police say she was an unintended victim. FBI Special Agent in Charge Kiernan Ramsey says many witnesses ran from the scene and might have information that could help solve the case. San Francisco State University is the nation's first public college to offer a Bachelor of Arts degree in bilingual journalism. The new degree program will emphasize writing and producing news and media stories in both English and Spanish. Students will also learn about Latin American history and take courses on race, crime, and justice as it applies to Latinos. San Francisco State students will be able to major in bilingual journalism starting next fall. Oregon is dropping the bachelor degree requirement to be a substitute teacher amid teacher shortages at schools returning to in-person learning. The temporary measure will allow school districts to put in place emergency substitute teaching licenses. The short-term license would allow the applicant to work only in the district which is sponsoring them. The district would have to provide what the Oregon Teacher Standards and Practices Commission is calling enhanced support and administrative supervision. Commission officials say applicants might be a college student, a school volunteer, or even a parent with extra time. A similar shortage in California is forcing the state's teachers' retirement system to review rules which prevents recently retired teachers from coming back to work within the first six months of retirement. First-time claims for unemployment benefits fell to 293,000 last week, down 36,000 from the week before. That's the lowest level since the pandemic hit in March of last year. Most analysts had been expecting Thursday's numbers to come in at right around 315,000. I'm Allie Bruce, and that was your national news. Hi, it's Ram, bringing you the latest in politics for the Rowan Report. Some updates on topics you've been hearing about for the past few weeks, and likely will continue to hear about for some time. First, the Texas abortion law. The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals has frozen Judge Pittman's order on the 8th, allowing the law banning abortions to go back into effect. They are working on a full opinion that will be reviewed by the entire Supreme Court. Texas Attorney General argues that the federal government does not have the legal right to challenge the SB8 law. The debate rages on, and the Supreme Court will be taking up a direct challenge to the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision in December. Regarding the two major infrastructure bills, we now know that the $3.5 trillion bill is being repackaged at $2 trillion. The debate at hand is whether the moderate focus of implementing a few areas for longer term will triumph, or the progressive vision will, that of starting all the promised programs as quickly as possible for shorter durations with lawmakers free to campaign in the future for their renewal. The self-imposed deadline remains looming at October 31st. Alongside this, Democrats have revised the Freedom to Vote Act, aiming for a test vote on the 20th. The bill attempts to protect and enhance the nation's patchwork of state-run election systems and responds to Texas and others' voting laws that critics argue are returned to Jim Crow-style restrictions, making it difficult to vote, especially for black and minority communities. Changes to the bill include limiting but not removing state voter ID requirements and scrapping public financing for the federal elections to appease Republicans. On the 14th, Press Secretary Saki said that President Biden's special commission draft examining court expansion, term limits, and other issues will come out on the 15th, adding that there will be a public meeting then before a final report is issued to the president in mid-November. Some Democrats have been pushing for expanding the court due to its current 6-3 to three conservative majority. On the 13th, 
the U.S. said that it will reopen its land borders to non-essential travel next month, ending a 19th-month freeze. Canadian and Mexican border land crossings had been restricted to essential employees only. The new rules applying to those who enter legally allow fully vaccinated foreign nationals to enter regardless of reason starting in early November, when a similar easing of restrictions is set for air travel. By mid-January, even essential travelers such as truck drivers seeking to enter will need to be fully vaccinated. On the 14th, three anonymous Senate Democrat aides and advocates said that Senate Democrats may propose that the government exercise its existing parole power to let migrants stay temporarily in the U.S. in the party's latest attempt to use domestic policy bill to help millions of immigrants. The proposal would let migrants avoid deportation, work, and, in many cases, travel. That rounds out this week's politics news updates. I've been Ram, and this has been Politics for the Rowan Report. I'm Victoria Baker with your international news. Russian's president believes the price of oil could go up even higher. Vladimir Putin told CNBC it's quite possible oil prices, as measured by West Texas Intermediate Crude, could hit $100 a barrel. It comes as the benchmark price recently reached $80 a barrel and gas prices hit a seven-year high. The national average is hovering just below $3.29 a gallon. The western U.S. is seeing the highest prices, while the southern portion of the country is paying the cheapest amount. A Banksy portrait that self-destructed after being sold for over a million dollars is now up for auction again. The spray painting Love is in the Bin shows a girl reaching for a heart-shaped red balloon and has a paper shredder hidden in the frame. When it sold at auction in 2018 for $1.4 million, the hidden shredder came to life and tore half the painting into strips. The buyer decided to go through with the purchase. Now the half-shredded Banksy is up for sale again and could fetch over $5 billion on Thursday's auction at Southby's in London. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un is vowing to build an invincible military to counter what the isolated communist states call hostile policies from the United States. Kim said that North Korea's weapons development program is for self-defense and not to start a war. He spoke while flanked by an array of large missiles. North Korea recently tested what it claims are new hypersonic and anti-aircraft missiles. Prince William is criticizing the space tourism race. He says the world's greatest brains should be instead trying to solve climate change on Earth. He tells the BBC they need to focus on repairing the planet, not just trying to find the next place to live. His comments came after Star Trek actor William Shatner became the oldest person to reach space on Wednesday. The 90-year-old blasted off on a Blue Origin rocket, a company owned by Amazon founder Jeff Bezos. Fellow billionaires Richard Branson and Elon Musk have also opened their own space programs. Two Australian teenagers are charged with killing 14 kangaroos. Locals found the dead kangaroos in the Australian state of New South Wales. South Coastal Police District officers first found five adults and one baby kangaroo dead after finding another seven adults and baby dead in another area. One injured baby kangaroo was located and taken into care by the Wire Wildlife Resource Team. Officers arrested two 17-year-old boys after an investigation where they were issued a court attendance notice for recklessly beating and killing animals. 
A Holocaust survivor who titled his memoir, The Happiest Man on Earth Has Died. Eddie Jacku died Tuesday in Sydney, Australia at the age of 101 years old. Jacku was sent to a number of concentration camps during World War II, including Buchenwald and Auschwitz. He and his wife moved to Australia in 1950 and ran a real estate business. He volunteered and spoke to high school students and other visitors at the Sydney Jewish Museum. His best-selling memoir was released last year and was published and translated in more than 30 countries. That was your international news. I'm Victoria Baker. And now it's time for local news with me, Sam Whalen. Brown University recently hosted the final debate leading up to the New Jersey gubernatorial race. The incumbent governor, Democrat Phil Murphy, and Republican nominee Jack Cittarelli took the stage at Bunce Hall to hear a variety of questions. With election night just a few weeks away, both incumbent and nominee were hoping to sway voters to their side before ballots are cast. The differences between the two men's style of governing became clear, with Cittarelli calling out the Murphy administration's handling of COVID-19 vaccine distribution. I really do believe that this governor has undermined the doctor-patient relationship. Uh, this administration went as far as to prepare doctors to administer the vaccine, even told them what the refrigeration requirements would be, but they never got them the vaccine. Doctors have been totally ignored. So we have a great vaccination rate in New Jersey, but if we want to increase it all the more, and I do, get the doctors involved. Get the doctors involved. Let's leverage that doctor-patient relationship. That's just as important in, in, in communities of color as it is in communities that are all white. Murphy followed up with his own take, citing the lifting of pandemic restrictions in other states. The tragedy today is there is a playbook. We know vaccines work. We know masking works. For folks to ignore that, disregard that playbook, uh, is putting lives needlessly at risk. It feels like an answer you'd see in a, in a debate in, in Texas or Florida. We will do exactly what I've suggested. There's no question about it. The challenge is we're still in the middle of the pandemic. Governor Murphy came under fire at a few points, especially when it came to the state's budget and the amount of money borrowed for things like state infrastructure. We have put aside $3 billion literally in a fund to pay debt down, and we have $1.2 billion in a debt avoidance, basically, fund, meaning that I, my example was the South Jersey Windport would have been a $250 million bond. We won't bond that. That's direct cash in the barrel. When you add those two funds together, that's $4.2 billion, $3 billion to repay, $1.2 billion to not take out more debt. That's the amount of money we borrowed. Eventually, the issue of female reproductive rights was brought up for the candidates to discuss. Cittarelli gave his take on the issue and what he'd do if Roe v. Wade was, in fact, overturned. I believe a woman has a right to choose, and I do. That means if Roe v. Wade is overturned, I've got to codify it here in New Jersey. So I believe a woman has a right to choose. And my votes over the years have been very, very consistent when it comes to bodily autonomy. So tonight was the first time I was asked the question directly, will you codify it? So it's all, she asked me that question. The answer is yes, we'll have to codify it. But I really do not believe that John Roberts' court is going to overturn that landmark decision. Uh, I do believe they'll observe the legal principle of stare decisis. In the days following the debate, the Murphy administration announced lifting regulations on abortions that barred them from happening in a doctor's office beyond 14 weeks of pregnancy. In addition, the ease on regulations now allows up to 15,000 midwives, nurses, and physicians' assistants to assist with abortions. With the COVID-19 pandemic and labor shortages overall becoming an issue across the country, the topic of business in New Jersey was addressed. Chitterelli criticized the current administration's handling of multiple businesses pulling out of the state. 
Nabisco left, as did Mercedes, as did Honeywell, as did the USGA. It's a zero-sum game. And I believe what we need is tax policy that appeals to all businesses, large, medium, and small. And uh, government gets out of the business of picking winners and losers. Governor Murphy attempted to paint a more positive picture of the situation, saying that the amount of businesses and people coming into the state is only growing. Well, all the companies that are coming into New Jersey, uh, I think that would have been good for folks to have heard that the list is a lot longer of the companies and families coming in than, than are leaving New Jersey. All in all, the crowd became a point of discussion following the debate. Numerous outbursts from various sections of the attendees happened throughout the night. Both candidates shared their feelings on the crowd. Uh, just a couple of things I want to say up front, uh, other than, as I said, a debate broke out at a hockey game. Uh, qu- quite an, an environment in there. Listen, the audience was rowdy. I, I think it made it more challenging. Uh, we applaud their enthusiasm, but it certainly made it more challenging. Election Day is just around the corner, and there are still multiple ways to participate. Unfortunately, the deadline to register to vote has passed. However, if you're already registered, early in-person voting will begin on October the 23rd and run until the 31st. When it comes to mail-in voting, the deadline to register for your mailed ballot is October 26th. You can apply to receive a mailed ballot at your local county election office any time before November 1st. All in-person polling locations will be open on Election Day, November 2nd, from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. Make sure to tune in to Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM on election night, November 2nd, for exclusive coverage from 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. Rowan Radio is also available to stream online at rowanradio.com. I'm Sam Whalen, and this has been your local news. That does it for the first half of the Rowan Report, wrapping up this week's national, political, international, and local news. We are going to take a quick break. Up next, we have your weekly sports, business, and entertainment news. Stay tuned right here on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM. Welcome back to the Roan Report. I'm Allie Bruce, along with the Roan Radio News Team. I'm Danny Ryan with your news from around the sports world. Roan Athletics are coming off of a great week since the last time we spoke. Between the eight games played, the profs of many different sports went 8-1-1 in just seven short days. Nothing short of tremendous play out of the D3 collegiate teams from Glassboro. The Rowan field hockey team started off the productive work week for Rowan University on Saturday, October 9th, redeeming the Rowan football team by taking down the number three ranked Kane University behind a second half goal thanks to Christina Hovell, who was assisted by Bridget Guinan. This last second victory was the Profs' sixth straight on the year, propelling them to an 8-2 record on the season as well as 3-0 in conference play. They also handed the Kane Cougars their first loss of the year after 14 games played. Truly an outstanding game for the Profs' field hockey team, that would be followed up by a dominant 4-0 victory in their next game on October 13th versus Arcadia University. The Profs fueled behind a shutout performance from Abby Hainsworth and Ada Ingram, as well as four goals from Julia Caviccio, Christina Hovell, Julia Patrone, and Vanessa Didonato, respectively. The field hockey team will play next against Ramapo on the road today at 12 p.m., looking for their eighth straight victory. Flipping things over to Rowan University men's and women's soccer. Well, they went combined for a record of 3-0-1 this past week with women's soccer, taking down William Patterson by a final score of 2-1 on the 9th of October, while also taking down Stockton 3-1 on Wednesday, October 13th. As for men's soccer, they found themselves winning and tying their opponents in their two matchups this week. 
Profs tied 2-2 against William Patterson on the 9th of October and then defeated Stockton by a final score of 2-1 on a game-winning overtime goal from Chad Yates. Yates was on fire in this one as this was his second goal of the evening that helped lead the Profs to this crazy victory. And last, but certainly not least, the Rowan football team dropped a tough matchup against an NJAC opponent in Kane University by a final score of 24-17. to While the Rowan volleyball team, well, they won their only match of the week by a final score of 3-0. The football team will face Salisbury University today at 12 p.m., still awaiting their first victory of the season. They need to bounce back in the worst of ways as they face yet another NJAC opponent looking to improve their record against a tough triple option attack today. And speaking of the tough triple option attack that Salisbury offers, our very own Nick Earnshaw here at Rowan Radio was able to stop and have a sit-down interview with Luke Janice, a senior defensive lineman of Rowan University football, to gather his thoughts on what he thinks he can do as well as his other defensive linemen to stop the triple option attack of Salisbury University. To be the triple option, it's assignment sound football, so everyone's got to do their part. So whether you have dive, quarterback, or pitch, this week I'm only worried about the dive and the one thing that the D-line, D-tackle that we've been worried about is stopping that dive, and that's the one thing we're going to come play to do is stop that dive. Yo, I'm glad you mentioned the triple option because Salisbury, most rushing yards per attempt in the NJAC. Joey Bilestein, Shamar Gray, both top 10 in rushing this year. I mean, what is your approach heading into to the game uh, for those two players to stop them on the ground? It's, it's what I just said. It's assignment sound football. It's gaps kind of get thrown out the window a little bit here. It's, it's more... I got this guy and I'm not going to let this guy do his job because I'm better at my job than he is. So my job this week is dive. So that Joey kid, my job is to stop him this week along with my other brothers that have dive. And that's what we're going to do. With that being said, once again, my name is Danny Ryan with your news from around the Rowan University sports world right here on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS FM. Steckler with your Rowan Report business update. John Deere workers in Iowa and Illinois are officially on strike. United Auto Workers union members rejected a new labor contract over the weekend, and union leaders failed to come up with an agreement with the company before the midnight strike deadline. Deere workers haven't been on strike since 1986, a strike that lasted several months. A new report says Americans should be prepared to get hit in the wallet while heating their homes this winter. The U.S. Energy Information Administration says households will spend over 54% more on propane, 43% more on home heating oil, and 30% more on natural gas this winter. Their forecast reflects a surge in energy costs, especially in oil and natural gas. This comes from the heels of already increasing prices nationwide as consumer prices increased more than 5% in September from a year ago. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is slamming the federal government for rising gas prices and inflation. The Republican recently said, we should be using the resources we have in this country, citing pipelines that have been shut down. Several economists say supply chain issues may be resolved by the end of the year, with inflation leveling off shortly thereafter. The White House is warning of Christmas shortages and the new iPhone 13 could be on that list. Apple was planning to make 90 million iPhones over the next few months, but may cut that by 10 million. The tech giant reportedly can't get enough computer chips amid a worldwide shortage. At least two suppliers are apparently struggling to deliver components in time. Major chip makers predict demand will continue to outpace supply throughout the year. I'm Megan Steckler, and this has been your Business News Report. And now it's time for your weekly entertainment recap with me, Brandon Searle. Smash Mouth lead singer Steve Harwell is out of the band. The frontman announced Tuesday that he's retiring due to ongoing health issues. 
Harwell suffers from cardiomyopathy, making it difficult to pump blood. The news comes after he took a brief hiatus from the band last month in order to address his health problems. It also follows a weekend concert in New York that saw him slur his words, threaten an audience member with murder, and appear to give a Nazi salute. The first official trailer has been released for the highly anticipated new Beatles documentary. The four-minute trailer shows Paul McCartney, John Lennon, George Harrison, and Ringo Starr in a London studio trying to come up with songs for a new album and for their first live performance in two years. The Beatles' Get Back will feature six hours of unseen Beatles footage that has been locked in a vault for 50 years and is a collaboration between the Beatles and director Peter Jackson. The documentary will air in three two-hour episodes starting November 25th on Disney+. Coldplay is heading back out on the road after putting their 2019 tour on pause due to environmental concerns. The band shared the news that there will be an accompanying world tour in support of their upcoming LP, Music of the Spheres. The trek will see them perform 122 shows across five continents with a 12-point eco-friendly action plan to be as sustainable and low-carbon as possible. Fans will also be able to help Coldplay with their green initiative at concerts. The British rock band revealed their performances will be partially powered by a dance floor that generates electricity when concertgoers jump up and down, pedaling power at the venue. William Shatner is back on solid ground after a short trip into space. He blasted off from Texas aboard Blue Origin's new Shepard rocket. He's the oldest person to fly into space, and after emerging from the capsule, Jeff Bezos uncorked a bottle of champagne to celebrate the journey. While speaking to Bezos, Shatner described the journey as moving. Comedian Howie Mandel is back at home following a brief stay in the hospital. He took to Twitter to say he's doing better after passing out at his local Starbucks in the L.A. area. The 65-year-old America's Got Talent judge said he was dehydrated and had low blood sugar. Mandel also thanked the doctors and nurses who took care of him during his hospitalization. Pop star Adele is set to release her long-awaited new album. The Grammy Award-winning singer will release her new album, 30, on November 19th after a six-year hiatus. Adele opened up in a recent interview with Vogue, talking about how her divorce affected the writing of the album and saying she wanted it to be more for her than her fans. The first single, Easy On Me, was released on Friday. Kanye West is selling his Wyoming ranch for $11 million. Kanye bought the ranch in 2019 under the asking price, which listed around at $14 million. There's no word on why the rapper is choosing to sell the property, but U.S. Weekly reports the ranch was a major culprit in his divorce from Kim Kardashian. I'm Brandon Searles, and this has been your weekly entertainment recap here on Rowan Radio. And that wraps up this week's edition of the Rowan Report here on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM. For the Rowan Radio News Team, I'm Allie Bruce. Have a great day. You've been listening to The Rowan Report, a weekly news magazine that recaps local, national, and international news that affects you. Be sure to join us every Saturday morning at 9.30 for another edition of The Rowan Report, exclusively here on Rowan Radio, 89.7 WGLS-FM.